A quiet June WASDE offered a few adjustments as we wade into the summer months. With weather, war, and fuel costs top of mind, what might be ahead for markets this season? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The June WASDE dropped Friday, June 9th, and what is usually a quiet report ahead of a more interesting USDA missive at the end of the month did not disappoint. Nevertheless, DTN's Todd Holtman joins us to unpack the smaller updates that the department made to their production and stock estimates and to talk about why even small tweaks matter in today's historically tight supply situation. We'll discuss the near and long-term weather forecasts we've seen and what they might mean for heat and dryness in the coming months, in addition to digging into the prospects for a new proposal to get grain out of Ukraine. We'll also hear more about what might be ahead for ag given current fuel costs and what all this means for grain and livestock producers as competition with South America heats up and China's needs continue to rise. More on soybean crush, record basis, and what Fed actions might mean for ag right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the June world supply and demand estimates. Todd, talk a little bit about the expectations going into this June report. Typically, the June WASDE is uh, not a big market mover in terms of market prices. And that was really true, again, for the most part here on Friday. Before the report was released, there was some selling and soybeans did end lower on the day. But it really wasn't so much anything due to the WASDE report. The grains ended up mixed at the end of the session. And that seemed suitable because most of the changes we're going to talk about today are pretty small adjustments. Let's get straight into the crop specifics. You know, we used to start off with corn, but I feel like now you have to start with wheat for everything because wheat is the thing that's giving everyone (laughs) anxiety. So talk to us a little bit about uh, what we heard about wheat from the USDA. Okay. I guess I'll start with the U.S. balance sheet because there was really only one adjustment. The USDA increased the wheat production estimate by 8 million bushels here in the U.S., And that flowed down to the bottom line. So we got an 8 million bushel increase in the ending stocks estimate for wheat. It's now 627 million bushels. It's almost not a big enough change to even talk about, Sarah, and uh, really doesn't have a, a large impact on the market in any way. Everything else basically stayed the same as far as the demand estimates and everything else. 
on the world wheat numbers, and that's where quite a bit of the attention was today, we saw a slight reduction in the estimate of world-ending wheat stocks, less than a million metric ton. In fact, it was just a small fraction of a metric ton, million metric tons reduced. There were really only two small tweaks in the estimates worth mentioning. In Europe, there was a slight reduction in that wheat crop estimate. It went from 136.5 million metric tons down to 136.10. And in Russia, there was a 1 million metric ton increase from 80 to 81 million metric tons. Both the production and the export estimates for Ukraine stayed the same for wheat in this report. I want to dig in a little bit on, let's start with the U.S. We just talked to Matt Wildy a few weeks ago who came back from the wheat tour in the Southern Plains and things are looking, I think, not unexpectedly because of the drought, not so good. You talked about that 8 million bushels not being very significant, but it seems surprising that the USDA is making that kind of adjustment. Any idea of maybe what's happening there? It actually uh, came from the Pacific Northwest. So we have a white winter crop that is doing better this year than it did last year because it was really hit hard with drought this year. There's still some drought issues out in the Pacific Northwest, but the conditions are a little better. So that's really where the, the main part of the increase came from. The drought area, the hard red winter wheat crop that we're all concerned about this year was estimated at 582 million bushels. That was down roughly 8 million bushel from last month's estimate. And the more important thing maybe is that it's a 22% smaller crop than what we saw a year ago. So uh, that HRW wheat total definitely keeping U.S. production very limited this year. The other half of that wheat question I want to talk about, again, the global numbers you mentioned were not huge changes, but I'm curious, given this moment with what's happening in Ukraine, extreme weather conditions and other important wheat producing areas, are these relatively minuscule adjustments? How much more important are they this year? Yes, today's adjustments were very slight, didn't really change anything in terms of our overall expectations for wheat supplies in the world. I like to focus on the ending stocks totals at the top eight exporters. That stayed basically the same. We're still talking about 2 million bushels of excess wheat at the world's top exporters. And of course, there's still plenty of uncertainty around the whole issue uh, of Ukraine. That's such a fluid and highly uncertain situation. These all are best guess efforts in a very difficult situation. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about the corn and soybean picture. Start us out with a, a top line on corn. What adjustments did we see coming out of this report? Yeah, there was really only one adjustment we need to talk about, Sarah. That was in the old crop corn. And uh, USDA reduced the export estimate by 50 million bushels. So that export estimate drops to 2.45 billion bushels. That translated to slightly higher ending stocks estimates for both old and new crop seasons. The new ending stocks estimate for corn in the old crop season is 1.485 billion bushels. That's still the second lowest total in eight years. And in the new crop season, we're looking at ending stocks of 1.4 billion bushels. So both are right around 10% of uh, stocks to use. And I'm curious, as especially as we look at the U.S., any concerns about or are you hearing or sensing in the markets around weather conditions, maybe the drought extending into the 
Western Corn Belt potential <laughs> or things like that? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what we'll really be watching for in the June 30th report when USDA comes out with acre estimates and the grain stocks report. We've had uh, difficult planting conditions, as most are aware of by now, up in the northern plains, in particular North Dakota, northern Minnesota, and on the Canadian side of the as well. It wouldn't surprise me if we didn't lose maybe a million acres of uh, corn plantings. And, and who knows, might be slightly more, but we'll see what USDA says on June 30th. All eyes on that report for sure. Talk to us a little bit about the demand side for corn. Uh, obviously, high gas prices are really top of everyone's mind at the moment and moves being made on ethanol. What is what is ethanol demand? What is feed demand? What is happening on the de- in the demand picture in this report? Yeah, USDA kept its ethanol demand estimate unchanged, 5.37 billion bushels. The pace of ex- ethanol production continues to be consistently strong lately. We're running about 8% above a year ago levels. And, and of course, with gasoline prices so high and gasoline prices tight, every bit of ethanol is needed to help stretch those supplies, just the same way that soybean oil is needed to stretch diesel supplies at this time. This is an environment that's really stretching the need for that alternative fuel. And we continue to see strong demand for both ethanol and soybean oil in that regard. There really weren't any other big changes significant outside of that export estimate reduction on the old crops. Feed demand was largely the same as uh, last month's estimates. And talk a little bit about exports and what the export picture looks like going into this summer. So the corn shipments have actually kept pretty close pace to USDA's estimate, but it's the sales commitments that aren't keeping pace. And I think that's what led to USDA's reduction of 50 million bushels in today's report. We'll see how that plays out. Now, we haven't had much competition this year, especially with Ukraine preoccupied with, but we do have an instance where Brazil is just starting to harvest their second corn crop. They're still expecting a record corn crop, and that was reinforced in today's report again. So we do expect to have more competition for our corn exports starting roughly in July. Talk a little bit about, we've been watching weather in Latin America pretty closely for the last several months. What are you seeing there now and any other big weather seasons you're paying attention to elsewhere around the globe? For corn in particular, Brazil's been the big one and uh, central Brazil's been extremely dry. They haven't had much rain since mid-April. And uh, so we were really curious about if that corn crop uh, would get docked and by how much. So far, the, the totals have held up fairly well. And it looks like just maybe a lot of that corn crop in c- central Brazil had such good moisture before the rain shut off, that it helped give them a good start through the season. In southern Brazil, they've had more favorable rains recently, the past few weeks. But there is a threat of frost coming up this weekend in southern Brazil, so we're going to be watching that. But aside from any evidence of a big hit to that Brazilian corn crop yet, though, USDA is still expecting a record crop of 116 million metric tons. Before we circle back to that feed question and talk about livestock, let's check in on soybeans, our darling child of the commodity group at this moment. Talk to us about the the updates that USDA had for us in this report. Lately, 
the different avenues of soybean demand have all been so strong. They've just been tugging soybean prices higher. It just seems like from every direction. And here on Thursday, the day before report, we saw July soybeans close at the highest price ever for a July soybean contract. So it continues to be a very bullish market. We were expecting USDA to reduce the ending stocks estimate for soybeans, and they did. They came through, and they did that by increasing the export estimate, 30 million bushels. And that took the ending stocks estimate for old crop soybeans down to 205 million bushels. That's tighter than last year. That's actually the lowest in six years. And really, I think, uh, a bit of a threat to soybean supplies in the final three months of this season. Talk to us a little bit about the weather picture for soybeans as is there as much concern as there is maybe in the corn space for the drought situation or for planting delays or anything like that yeah in south america of course brazil's harvest is behind us and argentina's harvest is 97 percent complete those two crops are just about done uh, for the year and they have suffered from previous year total that's really given a boost to our export demand here in the U.S. And of course, they are the two main competitors that we have in the world. There's really not another big significant uh, provider of soybeans other than those two countries. So we continue to be in very good shape as far as expecting more export business ahead. And then at the same time, as I mentioned, we've got diesel prices making new highs this week and just strengthening the case for needing more and more soybean oil all the time to extend those diesel supplies. Say a little bit more on the the export figure. And uh, China is obviously always the the one to pay attention to, especially when it comes to soybeans. What is, especially with the competition from Crush, what does that look like right now? Yeah, China's demand has come through loud and clear once again. They are the world's largest buyer. And uh, when it became apparent that soybean crop was hit by drought earlier this year, that obviously added to China's interest in U.S. soybeans. And so we really saw soybean export demand pick up after the news of of drought hit Brazil. And uh, so we've seen another strong pace of buying from China. So far, they've bought 1.12 billion bushels of U.S. soybeans to date. And uh, they still remain active, even in uh, Thursday's weekly report for both old crop and new crop sides of soybeans. And of course, this summer we heard about, or earlier this spring, we heard about a lot of COVID problems in China. And there was a lot of concerns about their economy getting slower. But as far as soybean demand goes, we really never did see a let up. And even now, soybean prices are near their highest on record in China. We we just don't see any stopping or slowing down of that demand picture yet. Talk to us, kind of knitting our three crops together. Talk to us a little bit about what farmers are experiencing in terms of basis. Seems like demand is very strong. I imagine the picture is pretty good. Yeah, basis continues to be very strong. And especially this week, we saw the front month crops of both corn and soybeans just push even higher, which is just another strong form of expressing commercial demand. But for corn in particular, the basis is roughly eight cents above the July contract. And I'm basing that off of our national index of cash prices here at DTN. That national index is is averaging $7.81 across the country right now with an a basis that's eight cents above the board that's tied for the strongest basis this time of year that we've seen in nine years. So 
It continues to be a very strong sign of demand for domestic corn. And of course, ethanol plants are behind a lot of that. And as I said earlier, I had a, a strong production pace this year that continues. For soybeans, we're seeing a cash basis very strong. They're also the strongest in nine years. In that case, we see cash bids started to move early from July contracts. Now we're about half and half in the market with a lot of commercial bids going off of the cheaper August contract. The, the July price has gotten bid up so high, somewhat like we saw in wheat earlier this year, that commercial uh, bidders just don't want to stay up with that July contract. And, and so they're being forced to price off of the August. But even when they do go to the August, they're having to pay roughly 40 cents above the board. So uh, this just continues to be a, a very strong situation. Of course, the crush activity continues to be strong. Both meal and oil continue to hold very strong values. And even with soybeans getting higher, crush activity still looks profitable. Exciting to hear about the strength in the basis, but I'm sure that is providing some heartache to livestock folks all across the country. Talk a little bit. There were some updates, I think, in this WASD on livestock production. Could you give us a little update on what the USDA had to say? Yes. I, th I think the main thing to keep in mind is that when it comes to beef production for next year, 2023, USDA is still looking for a 7% drop in beef production. So all this beef cow herd liquidation that we've been hearing about for months and months and really for years is starting to bear fruit in terms of expecting lower supplies of cattle coming soon. So that continues to be dangled out there in front of us. I just will say in this report, the beef production estimate for this year was increased 65 million pounds. That's, that's not a big amount in terms of annual production. And overall, we're still looking for beef production this year to be slightly down from a year ago. For pork production, the this year's estimate was increased 180 million pounds. That is down 2% from a year ago. Now that the slaughter pace is running below that. Evidently, USDA is expecting the slaughter pace to pick up even more as the year goes on. So they're expecting that pork production to pick up. And then lastly, I thought it was a bit interesting. USDA is expecting poultry production to be up just slightly this year. And considering all the reports we've had about avian influenza and uh, all the birds and uh, lost, and especially commercial production, that sort of thing. Poultry production is basically expected to stay roughly steady in the year. That is very interesting. I guess the short time horizons, USDA thinks that the sector will just not be effect, be long-term affected by it? Uh, well, and I think uh, a lot of the birds that were hit were egg-laying hens, and so I don't have the, the egg production numbers in front of me, but that might be where they took more of a hit from the flu. That makes sense. I want to talk about a couple of big picture things. I think inflation is still very top of folks' mind. Interest rates, we've seen since the last time we talked, we saw some new jobs information come out of uh, the Bureau of Labor. We saw some new inflation projection estimations for May. I'm curious, just as you're watching the economy beyond the ag sector in particular, how are you keeping track of how that might start to bleed over into the ag market space? Yeah, my focus really is on the production numbers and production of crude oil, production of uh, world crude oil, OPEC, Russia, the U.S., the big players in the world oil market, 
And in that picture, I've seen that even though OPEC continues to make these monthly announcements of production increases, they're still not back to their pre-pandemic level of production. They're still short by about a million barrels per day. And so is the U.S. We're about 1.1 million barrels a day short of U.S. production. Now, the problem with Russia, as you know, just last week, Europe finally agreed to ban most of its oil imports from Russia, roughly two-thirds of them. And without the European market, Russia's oil production is also going to suffer. So that's really straining the world production uh, situation. And this is where the heart of a lot of this matter lies with inflation and everything else. Until we get or find a way to get those productive energy sources on the rise again. I don't care what the Fed or the president talks about. They're they're not the ones to address this problem. This is a production constraint problem. And uh, the only way out of this is to find ways to produce more. So it's not an easy solution here. It's nothing to put a Band-Aid on. And it's not really in the domain of the Federal Reserve as a lot of business channels seem to think it is. So it's just not easy to put all this production back together again because Humpty Dumpty has taken a pretty big fall the last two years given the pandemic and the war in Ukraine. And really so much of this comes down to the war in Ukraine and what is the world going to do with Russia and and how are we going to get things flowing and working again? It's a very difficult spot we're all in. Speaking of the war in Ukraine, I had a question on that, especially for wheat, but I think some of these other grains are relevant too. We've heard some news about the UN and some other international bodies hoping to negotiate with Russia about releasing some agricultural products from Ukraine or allowing Ukraine to begin trading out of the Black Sea ports again. I wonder how much you are thinking about any significant amount of, of grain even possible to come out of Ukraine this year, given just the level of kind of nationwide disruption there. If Russia agrees to open up these ports, do you think that's going to have a big impact on global wheat stocks? It, it was just about a week ago at this time when it first started getting bounced around the idea of this happening. And I wrote basically that this whole proposal has no chance of moving forward at all. And I I still hold to that view. I think the whole idea was dead on arrival when it was first put out there. Number one, Russia doesn't have any credibility in the matter of holding to their word. Nobody could trust them. It would take a lot of military intervention by the West to assure a safe corridor. And what would possibly allow Russia to allow that much military intervention in the Black Sea from the West. I, I just don't see any possible way of this working out. This week, there was some talk that Ukraine and the UK were in negotiations for the UK to provide enough weaponry to Ukraine to make their own safe corridors to allow exports out. But I think even that is quite a long shot arrangement. And there's just no getting around it. The, the Russia's hostility to Ukraine just has no limits, and it it just gets worse and worse by the day. I just have no optimism as far as Russia allowing any exports out of Ukraine. I think that makes sense. So I'm thinking about the, we're getting into the summer months, which are basically the weather-driven months of the year where markets are just beholden to the, the weather forecast. You mentioned the June 30th report as a big you know, potential market mover where we get some new information that 
really takes some mystery out of the year ahead. I'm yeah. curious about other pieces of information or other things that you'll be watching over the next three months that are possible to shift markets between now and harvest besides just the weather and then that one report. The next three months is really all about weather, Sarah, and it's just hard to get around that. And by the way, while, while we do mention that, just this week, we're starting to see a forecast for hotter temperatures on the way to the southern two-thirds of the Corn Belt the next seven days. Now, Initially, a lot of those places are going to say, thank goodness, hooray, that'll really help our, our crop development here to get some heat because they've had a lot of rain and, and conditions have been uncommonly cool for much of the spring. But our DTN meteorologists have for many months now, really all through winter, been forecasting hot and dry scenarios for the months of July, August, and September. And those forecasts are still in. We're very suspicious that this may be more than just a, a 10-day hot period to help give crops a boost. We're very concerned that we, we'll be talking about hot and dry weather factors through much of the summer here. And if that's true, I just it's hard to imagine what these prices are going to do on top of all the bullish scenario that we have for them. Yeah, it's yeah truly hard to imagine. I have one more kind of fun, weird question. I'm right. always curious. So most people, especially people who listen to this podcast, will know that most WASDs come out on a Wednesday or a Thursday, maybe a Tuesday. Friday WASDs, generally uncommon. Do you think <laughs> that, or I'm curious about having been watching WASDs for a long time, how much does it affect the market reaction or how many people are paying attention to a report when it comes out on a day when there's not three more days of trading left this week? Yeah, fair question. I, I think for this June report where there wasn't a lot going on and most of the changes were minor, it, it was okay to have a Friday report, but I, I would not be too comfortable with a big important report. Like for instance, say the September report, when we get our first yield forecast from, now I'll have to look down the road and see what the calendar date is for that. But I, I certainly hope that's not on a Friday because there'll be excitement for that. And the June 30 report will be another one of excitement. So you kind of like to allow the market to have some trading time to digest all this information and not just be bottled up over a weekend. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Ma, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.